Hey everybody, I'm Siobhan Palmer and welcome to the Estrogen Express. Hop aboard as we deliver real, raw, and unfiltered content to help us navigate the business of life. We're in this together, ladies. Let's do this. Lee Ella Myers, a serial entrepreneur, CEO, mom, and author. In 2003, she co-founded Lingual Care, a med tech company, and eventually sold it to 3M in 2007. Her business memoir, Finding the Exit, is a story of overcoming a tragic beginning and finding success in the hyper-competitive world of technology startups. It captures the feelings of economic vulnerability that stalk women of disadvantaged backgrounds as they become executives and leaders. A native of Nebraska, Lee received her BA from the University of Texas at El Paso and an MBA from the Thunderbird School of Global Management in Glendale, Arizona. She resides in Dallas, Texas and Berlin, Germany. Lee, welcome to the show. Wonderful to be here. Thank you, Siobhan. Well, I just wanted to tell you, um, I'm going to be unapologetically effusive about your book to the lead in um, finding the exit. I've got a bit of ADD, although my husband would say a lot more than a bit. And I <laughs> literally read your book in two nights and it was just so compelling on so many levels. It's an outstanding business book, but really your personal story um, and all the things you've overcome in your life was just so um, impactful to me. So I really want to get into this. So why don't we start really at the, the beginning? Um, you've been very open in the book and um, sharing all the difficulties you had. So you had a pretty rough uh, childhood. Why don't you kind of lay out the, the story there? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Nebraska. My mother was a homemaker and my dad was in the real estate business. And uh, my mother had a rage problem. And uh, it's one of the things that I decided to talk about in the book, actually after I'd written three drafts of the book, I'll, I'll put that out there. Because initially I didn't want that to be my story. Um, I wanted my story to be about being a successful businesswoman. Um, but the truth of the matter is that overcoming the things that I did early on, uh, dealing with my mom, she was uh, physically, uh, emotionally abusive uh, to me, to my siblings, to my dad. Um, she just had a rage issue. And when you grow up with someone who has an issue like that, um, you become very, un at least in my case, uh, very unsure of yourself um, because you don't know what's going to trigger the rage. So you're constantly trying to find the magic formula uh, when the truth of the matter is there is no magic formula, the rage is going to be expressed regardless of what you do. But um, it's, it's difficult. Um, and it, it, it shaped me in many ways as an adult. What do you think the uh, underlying reason for her rage was? Um, you know, my mom had uh, grown up uh, under difficult circumstances herself. And she envisioned this ideal family. And she had conjured this up in her mind of what an ideal family should look like. And anything that deviated from that made, I think, her feel like a failure. And her way of bringing everybody back into line was to, you know, freak them out with her rage, to be angry, to be abusive, to strike out. Um, I wish that she had had access to the kinds of resources that we, you know, we, uh, we give to our kids today. Um, 
you know, oh, you've got a problem. Let's go see a psychologist. Let's go to therapy. Let's, you know, work, work on it. Um, right. you know, back then it was just more common to, you know, to bottle it up. Um, and I want to imagine being from Nebraska, you know, those, your people just suck it up and, you know, was that the, the reality with your family and other families? Yeah, I mean, you, there was a lot of shame there, right? So you don't talk about it. You don't. You don't want to admit what's really going on in your home. I think that's that's pretty pretty common in families that, that suffer these problems. Right. Um, you know, you work extra hard to appear normal, and you know, try to avoid situations where somebody from the outside might become privy to uh, your reality. Well, you say, you mentioned that uh, you have siblings. Where are you in the birth order? How many siblings do you have? I'm number two. Number two, middle kid. And you also said that your mother was abusive to your father as well. That how, how did he deal with that? Or how did your dad try to deflect the rage or protect you kids? Uh, I think his feeling was, well, as long as nobody ends up in the hospital, how bad can it be? Um, you know, this is back in the 70s where, uh, you know, uh, corporal punishment of your kids really wasn't considered a big deal. Um, I mean, my mom certainly went far beyond that. But, uh, and then, then there was also, you know, my mother wanted us to not be honest with my dad about what was going on. You know, because uh, he was he was not in the home as much. He was out working. And there was an underlying threat of, hey, if you tell the truth, it's just going to get worse. Wow. And, and he's going to leave and, you know, you'll be left here at my mercy. So, you know, be, be mindful. Yeah. I can't um, imagine how painful that was as a young girl. So in, in your book, you talk about how you actually uh, dropped out at high school. What were the circumstances around that? Um, so my, uh, I ended up running away from home. My, my parents did get a divorce. So they got a divorce in uh, 1974 mother got custody of the kids, which was pretty common back then. And she moved us to a town that was about 200 miles away from where my dad was. And her behavior just got progressively worse. And I, at one point, just decided to get a job. I was 12 years old um, so that I could earn money to buy a bus ticket to run away from home, wow. which I did. And I ended up... Uh, to be with my dad. Um, I had to run away from home twice. The first time he sent me back. The second time I said, hey, if you don't take me, I will go somewhere else far, far from here. Um, and he did take me in. Uh, and I had a couple of good years there. Um, he died in 1982 when I was 16. And my mother at the time said, well, I don't know what you're going to do uh, you already made your choice about not living with me. So um, I was on my own. So you were rejected I, I, again at age 16. Yes, uh, I was on my own. My sister had graduated from high school. She was 18. Um, I, and I just went to live with her um, and tried going to college. Uh, I, I dropped out of high school. I took the GED and uh, I had enough credits to get into the University of Nebraska on this special program, which I was just a mess. I mean, I was drinking a lot. Um, I was angry and hurt and rejected. And, you know, I was just not in a good place for academic success. So I ended up leaving the University of Nebraska later. 
and coming back to my hometown um, and getting a job as a short order cook, which was, uh, you know, and I was living in this building that was across the street from the house where I had been born. And it was an apartment building, mostly occupied by retired school teachers. Um, And it was a studio apartment with a shared bathroom. So I shared my bathroom with three other women on the floor. And I had this little tiny, you know, maybe 150 square foot uh, apartment where I lived for $100 a month with all bills paid. You know, the utilities were included. So that sort of gives you an idea of the the caliber of the type of neighborhood. At age 16, it's such a um, critical age for a young woman. At your lowest point, did you ever contemplate suicide? I mean, did you get that low because you felt like you had no support system at that point? I did. I did. Um, and, but I never, I never made any serious attempt at it. Okay. Um, but I, I thought about it because, you know, the, the, the thing that was probably the most difficult for me was my mother just made me believe that I was not a lovable person. You know, and I thought, if, if your own mother can't love you, who can? Exactly. It plays with your psyche. It gets to you on the cellular level. So you do mention in the book that you were married, you had a failed marriage, and um, you eventually had a child. So tell us what happened. How did you meet this individual, and why did the marriage end? Well, so my, uh, one of the, probably the most important parts of my journey was at the age of 20, I got sober. Um, I went into rehab for 30 days and I quit drinking and I went back to college and then I went to graduate school and I, you know, slowly rebuilt a life for myself. Um, my, uh, my marriage to uh, the gentleman I refer to the book is John, which is not his name, but given that he's a rather litigious, we'll stick with John. <laughs> no, kid, no kidding. Good. Yeah. Mister. <laughs> um, I, I married him um, because he seemed like the sort of person that I should marry. I know that sounds terrible, um, but I, I've had a chance to really think about it a lot. You know, he was the son of a, um, a doctor and his mother was a really nice uh, woman uh, who, you know, made a home in, in South Bend, Indiana. He went to Notre Dame uh, he was a college athlete, you know, he was tall, he was attractive, he was smart, he had uh, been very successful in his career, um, and he really had all those things on paper that I thought, well, this is this kind of person you should marry, and I didn't really trust my own feelings, you know, that, well, if I don't really, you know, feel head over heels in love with him, I should, because look how great he looks on paper, um, and, you know, we ended up Uh, being married for almost 10 years. Uh, We have a son together who's just the light of my life and a joy. His name is Will. Um, What I realized getting after being in the marriage for a while, at at the time uh, Will was five, I started my own company. And starting your own company is hard. You know, if you've ever done it from scratch, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, you, it, you become obsessed. It's like having 
um, this thing that will never leave you. I mean, even today, I, so I'm now, I'm now on my third company that I've started and it's the same, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about inventory levels and what about this? And did I call that person back? And what if, we, you know, what if we tried this other marketing strategy? So it becomes very consuming and it, it was a very uh, enormous strain on the marriage. Um, we were already, uh, I think the basis of our marriage was kind of rocky anyway. Um, when you add in becoming obsessed with your company and um, nothing, nothing, I mean, nothing other than my son was as interesting as figuring out how to get that company off the ground. Right, it became um, a, I, a very good distraction for you. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I had a moment when I realized that I wasn't really participating in the bridge anymore. I was just managing it. Oh, okay. Just managing the interactions, which, again, sounds terrible, but that's, that's where I was at. So you eventually uh, divorced this gentleman, and you have a young son, and you founded um, your, one of your signature companies, Lingual Care MedTech, that was in, back in 2003. So how did that come about? So Lingual Care was the company that I had when I was married to, uh, to John. Okay. Um, and uh, the way that came about was I was working at another health tech company, and I really liked it. Uh, I had spent 10 years probably working in just pure technology, software technology. So it's you know, coming up to the year 2000, which was just a heyday. Uh, in technology, you know, there was billions and billions and billions of dollars being poured into technology development, all these new companies, companies were going public with, you know, you know, uh, very sketchy financials, but there was just so much money pouring into the market that it didn't seem to matter. So in the middle of this heyday, um, I uh, was with a company that we sold the primary business to uh, uh, a company called CompuWare. So I was at a software company in Dallas. We sold the primary business to CompuWare. They're based in Detroit. We weren't going to move to Detroit. So I was looking around for a job. I find a job at this company that makes platform technologies for dentistry, for scanning your teeth, for uh, software to realign them in the computer for like uh, braces. And, uh, and then they, you had these robots that actually bent the wires that they put into the braces to make your teeth move efficiently. It was, it was very cool. Um, and it was one of the first companies that I'd ever worked at where I could explain to my mom what I did and, and she understood that. Um, so while I was there, uh, a lot of things changed in the market. Um, the company had raised at that point about $32 million. Wow. Uh, but they were, yeah, they were, they were eating a lot of money. Um, and, uh, 9-11 came around. Uh, and financing a company became much, much more difficult. Um, and we ended up getting the company financed, but they fired the, the CEO, they brought in a new CEO, and the new CEO, like many new CEOs want to do, uh, wanted to bring in his own team. And he wanted to hire a guy uh, to take half of my job. At the time, I was the VP of sales and marketing. So he wanted to hire someone to take the marketing piece of my job um, and me train him because this gentleman hadn't spent any time in orthodontics or dentistry. 
and uh, pay him more money and give him more stock than he had given me. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> the MO, right? Yeah. And I mean, I had, I had an MBA, this person didn't. Like everything about it smelled bad and made me feel bad. And when I went to a couple of the board members and said, hey, this is not right, um, they said, well, there's nothing we can do. You have to let the CEO run the company. You're just going to have to suck it up. And right around that time, um, I had seen this technology in Germany for uh, braces that go behind your teeth that were customized. And it was a really interesting technology. Um, the name of the company was Lingual Care, and the word lingual in, in dentistry means the tongue side of your teeth. Oh, so basically making these custom braces that go on the tongue side of your teeth. And so um, with the gentleman named Rutger Rubert, who uh, was also the founder of Orometrics, we, we left that company and started Lingual Care to pursue this opportunity with braces that go behind your teeth. Wow. And that was the company that we uh, ended up starting, growing, and then selling to 3M in 2007. And if you read the book, I kind of frame my whole story around the story of starting and, uh, and selling the company. That's the, the structure of the book and telling, you know, the rest of my story along the way through that. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating read. Um, I'd highly recommend it. Let's talk. Okay, so you sold to 3M in 2007. I presume you and your partners made quite a bit of money from that transaction. How did your life change after that, having originally come from relatively, you know... Uh, not a lot. Yeah, not a lot. Well, I will tell you that here in Texas, the community property sword cuts both ways. So um, I sold my company the same day I got a, got a divorce, and I lost half of my money. Oh, my God goodness. Uh, yeah. So there's that. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't as much as it could have been. Um, but that's okay. Uh, so you know, what was different is for many years, this feeling of being on the edge and feeling desperate to get to financial security really drove me. And then suddenly when I had a lot more financial security than I'd ever had in my life, I found it um, weird to not feel desperate, you know, to not feel. That's um, interesting. Because I was, I was never somebody, and I'm still not today. I don't want a lot of stuff, you know. I don't want to have. I don't need to have a, you know, ten thousand square foot home or a, a beach house um, or a private jet or anything like that. So I'm not really motivated by money that way. I mean, my thought was, okay, I'd love to be able to pay for a house and pay for my son's education and have some, you know, cash in the bank for retirement and not have to worry quite so much. Um, and then when I got that, I thought, okay, so what do I do now? You know, what do I, what do I want to do now? Um, what's going to continue to motivate me and, and drive me? And uh, that was actually one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I had, as a kid, I had loved the library. I loved books. You know, I would always take out the maximum allotment of books from the bookmobile that would come to our school, you know, or the library, if I could get to the library. Um, I love stories and I love storytelling. And I had always wanted to write a book. So that was something that I decided to do. 
Um, I also started another company that uh, uh, actually closed at the end of last year. Um, that's a, also a very long story. We started a company to really revolutionize dental implantology. And after seven years of trying to get this product through FDA, working with them, negotiating with them, at the very last minute, they elected not to clear the product. Oh, yeah. What kind um, of product was it, Lee? So we made a custom dental implant that actually looked like your tooth. So today, if you get a dental implant, it, it looks like a screw, like you got at Home Depot. It's a titanium <laughs> screw. No, it does. It no, it does. Like yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah, so they'll go in, they'll screw a hole in your jawbone, put the screw in, let it heal up, then they cut it open again, and they put another screw inside the screw. Um, and then that, that piece sticks up above your gum line, and they, they glue a tooth on that. Um, it's a pretty barbaric procedure, particularly given all of the imaging and rapid prototyping technologies that we have now. So our idea was, well, what if you could just take an image, a 3D image of the tooth before it's ever removed, and on the day that the tooth is removed, uh, you could place a copy right back in the same space. So the doctor pulls your tooth, they clean it out, and then they just put this new tooth back in the same space. So there's no drilling, there's no you know, multiple surgeries, it's very friendly. Um, so we started doing it in Germany, that's where we tested out the concept and did our clinical studies. Um, and then we did some here in the US at uh, Texas A&M uh, College of Dentistry, which used to be Baylor here in Dallas. And after, as I said, um, you know, providing the FDA with a lot of clinical data and doing really everything they asked us to do, at the very end of the process, they just didn't feel comfortable clearing it. Um, once again yeah. that shows your tenacity I mean somebody a true entrepreneur like yourself you know you know it's a long game and when you were going through this whole process before you sold LinguaCare to a 3M and I know you uh, noted in the book about the many um, challenges you went through that would just break a lot of people and do you think because you had such a challenging childhood and endured so much as a young girl that somehow that put um, some strength inside of you to be able to push through a lot of these um, challenges as an adult that most people would not be able to deal with? You know, I, I would say, I would say that's true, Siobhan. Um, when you have lost everything, like I did when my dad died, you know, when you just, you, you know what it is to lose everything, to, to be at the bottom, so to speak. Um, when you get into situations that seem scary to others, but if you've already been there and you know, hey, I got out of that, um, it's a lot less frightening than it is um, if you've never faced it before, right? Because you just don't know what it looks like. Um, and uh, I, I didn't want to, I obviously didn't want the company to, to, go, uh, to go under. Um, and we fought really hard. I, every company I've been with in an in, uh, entrepreneurial company has had what I would call a near-death experience, you know, where things have just gone really, really bad and you just think we're not gonna be able to make it. And we've always, you know, always pulled it out, always got it back on track. And this was the first time that that didn't happen. And I will tell you the other interesting part of that story is 
as the year with FDA is coming to a close and we're working our way through all of these different issues, um, my mother was getting sick. Um, she, in January, she fell and, uh, and, and broke her arm. And I got into this struggle with her over the last, uh, you know, part of her life to leave the apartment she'd been living in, which was this bottom floor of this big old craftsman house in Lincoln and try to get her into assisted living because she just wasn't getting around well. So to make a long story short, as we're coming into the end of 2019, um, I finally did get my mother into assisted living, which was a huge push. She'd only been in the facility for, I don't know, 20 days, and she went to do some volunteer work and she fell. So the day of uh, FDA's rejection was October 18th. My mom fell on the 20th, and then there was this rapid su succession of things happening. So the company doesn't get FDA approval. My mother falls. I come back to the U.S. because she's in the hospital. Um, we lose our funding. Our investors wanted this FDA approval. They wanted to see it go into the U.S. market. So we lose our funding. So now we're scrambling to get new funding. But there's a law in Germany that says if you're within 21 days of not being able to meet your financial obligations, you have to self-declare insolvency. It's, oh, wow. it's, it's the law. And if you don't, any money that's spent between the time that you had that 21 days and you didn't declare, the management of the company is personally financially responsible. Nice. So, um, so we had to declare insolvency at the beginning of November and the first week of November on a Monday. And my mother died on Friday. Oh my goodness. Um, so nice. it was just this, yeah, I mean, it was just this huge series of events. Yeah. Series of loss. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and when you've had a parent that you didn't have a great relationship with, uh, it's, I think it's even harder than if you did have a good relationship, um, when that happens. Did you ever feel like you got any resolution with your relationship with your mother? Um, we definitely hit a detente, um, when I was, uh, at lingual care and traveling a lot and my son was young. Uh, I asked my mother if she would be willing to come to Dallas and help take care of him while I traveled, and she did. Um, and she had a good relationship with him. And that was, that was something that was uh, somewhat important to me. I thought, okay, if she and I can't have a good relationship, I, that doesn't mean that she can't have it with Will, that I can't give him a grandmother. Um, and she enjoyed it, and he enjoyed it. So that was a, that was a good thing for them. Um, I never really trusted her with anything big emotionally. So I managed my relationship with her too. We were, we were not close. You know, she would not be the person I would call if I needed help or, you know, to discuss a sticky issue, but we were cordial. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did my best to uh, take care of her. I mean, the last 10 years of her life, I supported her financially um, because she didn't have enough, uh, just in you know, living on her social security. And that was, you know, a choice that I made. Uh, my siblings chose not to do that. So I had to pick up the full burden of it. Um, but it seemed like the thing that was right, you know, it was the right thing to do. So 
I, uh, even though she didn't support me, I supported her. Well, let's talk about today. I know you're happily married and you keep referring to, uh, to your son, <laughs> Will. Tell me a little bit about your son, what he does, where he lives, and then also we'll talk about your husband. Sure. So Will just graduated from college. Uh, he got a degree in physics with a minor in math and a minor in statistics. Oh, he's from, his mom's son. <laughs> from the University of California in Santa Barbara. Uh, so he actually just got uh, accepted a job offer from a very large company in California. He's super excited. He, that happened today. Um, but, you know, Will's a musician. He's an athlete. Uh, he's very well-rounded. Uh, I'm very proud of him, and I am very uh, thankful that as a child of divorce, he seems to have come through it relatively well. Uh, I attribute that to two things. One is he's a super resilient kid. Uh, the second thing is I, as a parent, made it a point to never say anything at all negative about his dad. Yeah, which is probably a good thing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, which is something my mother never did. I mean, my mother was always throwing my dad under the bus, and it was so hurtful because, you know, I was, ha half of my dad was in me, right? Exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, so Will's, a, Will's great. He is, uh, you know, now officially out of the nest. And that's a weird thing to be, you know, having spent so many years being responsible for him, being responsible for my mother. Um, and now I have this. A little bit of freedom or just a, a window and you're, you're happily married. Tell us about your husband briefly. Sure. So uh, Rutger was my business partner at Lingual Care. And he and I got married three years ago, actually. We started uh, the second company together, the dental implant company, and we've started a third company together, which we're both working on right now. So um, he's German and grew up in Germany. Uh, he's a mechanical engineer and he is the most um, supportive person I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, many years ago, we were sitting with a group of people uh, talking about new, there was a new year coming up and I even forget what year it was and about new year's resolution. Um, and people were saying, Oh, you know, I want to lose weight and I want to do this and I want to do this. And, um, and Rutger asked me after I finished my long list, he said, you know, I think I have something you should put at the top of your list. I hope you'll consider it. And I said, what? And he said, to love yourself just as you are. Oh my gosh, isn't that beautiful? Um, yeah, and he's, you know, he's, he's someone that I worked with as a, you know, as a friend and a partner for many years. And um, one thing that is different about him really than anybody I'd ever worked with is in all of that time, Rutger has never done anything to diminish me. He's always tried to lift me up to be the best person that I can be. Well, that's true love. You know, he's obviously a man that's very confident in himself, so he doesn't need to yes. denigrate his partner, right? Yeah. No, he's he's so comfortable in his own skin. It's a little scary. I've never met anybody that comfortable in their own skin. No, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
Well, um, this has been fantastic, um, Lee, and I would highly encourage people to go and get this book, Finding the Exit. It's almost like a metaphor, you know, finding the exit from an abusive childhood, exiting out of that, and then finding the exit, building up a company, and then selling it and going on to the next project. I love the name. Um, Thank you. A couple, couple of questions before we wrap. Who would you say is your personal hero? Um, you know, that's, it's an interesting question because I'm, I've thought about that when other people have asked me the question, you know, who, who do you, who do you really look up to? Um, I admire people who not necessarily do big things, but who are honest. I mean, I love Oprah Winfrey. I wouldn't say she's my hero. I love Brene Brown. I love people who are just willing to talk about what is real. Um, you know, I have such admiration for people like Gloria Steinem, who opened doors for the women of my generation, um, you know, in, in, in the women's movement. Um, you know, when I look out at some of those women who uh, just stepped out there and did what wasn't popular, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge admirer of Hillary Clinton, uh, just for that very same reason, you know, people, she's very polarizing. Many people despise her. I look at her and just say, wow, this is somebody who went out and achieved amazing things, raised a great kid, managed to, you know, hang on to a marriage that was uh, pretty challenging at times with an individual who's pretty challenging. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have nothing but admiration for for the women who came before me, who opened the doors for the rest of us to follow. I love it. And just one more question to wrap um, today. Fill in the blank. If I could do it all over again, I would what? I would have started writing earlier, I think. Um, I, was, I was afraid that I didn't have what it took to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to be a storyteller. To me, that was just the most magnificent thing to be able to take somebody out of the place where they were into another place where they could feel and experience a different life. Um, I wish I, I wish I had done that earlier. I don't know that I could have, you know, I needed to do a lot of those other things first to resolve my own um, situation, my own feelings of confidence or lack of, um, and, and yeah, I will also add that I started painting a few years ago. Yes, I was just about to ask you because <laughs> I've seen your paintings on Facebook. They are absolutely stunning. Are you um, apprenticing under somebody or are you all just self-taught? I'm just self-taught. Oh, I my just, gosh. Uh, just wanted to uh, actually, as, as the company I was with, uh, the one that went bankrupt, natural, it's called Natural Dental Implants, Replicate Dental Technologies, um, as that was becoming more and more stressful, I was actually seeing a therapist and she suggested to me to paint. She said, just go to the art store, grab a canvas, get some paint and paint what that feels like. Show me visually what that feels like. And so I started doing that. And then I realized that I really liked it. And I liked it mostly because I didn't have to do it well. I could just do it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something like my business where I was going to be judged on the revenue or <laughs> judged on right, exactly. you know, how many people liked it. Um, and as, you know, time went on, I had a lot of people who liked my art and wanted to have it. 
um, which I frequently will sell a painting in exchange for a donation to the North Texas Food Bank. Um, because, you know, particularly during the pandemic, we're all at home. Um, having a little extra beauty doesn't hurt. Um, and yeah, so I've, I've really enjoyed that uh, recently. I've, I've enjoyed um, traveling. So Rutger and I live between Germany and the U.S. I go back and forth. Um, and as part of that, you know, once Will went off to school and I didn't have anybody really waiting for me at home, I had an opportunity to travel a ton to go all over the world. Um, and, you know, spending weekends in Europe, it's really easy to jump on a plane and from Berlin and go to Norway and for three days, or I went to Greece and Rome and Vienna and, you know, places that I'd always wanted to see. So, um, you know, I feel very, very blessed to have the life that I have right now, um, to have come from where I came from and to be, you know, to be able to. Uh, sit on a patio in Paris on a weekend and, uh, you know, enjoy um, <laughs> the last bits of sunshine, you know, going down over the river. I mean, that, when I was a kid in Nebraska, that just seemed like completely out of reach. Um, so I feel, I feel very, very blessed for that. Well, uh, Lee Ellermeyer, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. What a remarkable story, a remarkable life. Um, I would highly encourage people to go out and get your book, Finding the Exit. It, you will not be able to put it down. Uh, Lee, what is the best way for people to get information more about you and the book if they want to order it? Um, so the book is on Amazon. It's also on Barnes & Noble. Okay. Uh, it's pretty, so you can get it either, either place. And if you want to see my art, you can go to uh, Lee Ellermeyer on Instagram or LeeEllermeyer.com. It's in both places. Beautiful. And we'll, we'll post up on there for, um, for you as well to promote your artwork as well as the book. Lee, thank you again. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Siobhan. I appreciate it. That's it for uh, this week's show, everybody. Um, be sure and check out our Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Um, we will see you next week on the Estrogen Express podcast.